Attention architects and creative minds, get ready to supercharge your brand with Build Your Brand, the podcast that's unlocking the secrets of branding success for creatives. Hey there, it's Mark Arlapage, founder of Entree Architect, and I'm inviting you to join my friend, architect marketing expert, Jeff Eccles at Build Your Brand Podcast, where he explores the captivating stories of the world's top brands and transforms their lessons into powerful moves for small firm architects and creatives like you. In season one, Jeff shares the thrilling tale of Southwest Airlines, where he dissects their journey to the summit and distills it into strategies tailor-made for you. It's important to keep in mind that companies like Southwest compete in the real world, just like you, and face real-world challenges, just like you. You might be surprised at how similar those challenges are to the struggles that you grapple with on a day-to-day basis. Don't miss out on your blueprint for success. Subscribe, tune in, and let's build your brand together. You may have noticed that the very best brands in the world are also known for having somewhat unique corporate cultures. That's often the glue that holds everything together when they encounter those rough spots. We don't do it because it inconveniences the passengers to whom we are primarily dedicated, the short haul uh, frequent flyer. Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Build Your Brand today. Remember, no matter the size, the journey's the same. Your brand's journey to the top starts here. Context and Clarity has been called a community-based pro-practice masterclass for architects. It's awfully high praise, but since we began this journey back in April of 2020, we've certainly grown into a community of small firm architects, all focused on what matters most to their success. And by the way, it doesn't matter if you're the employee of a firm that's dreaming of going out on your own, or you've owned your own firm for 26 years. There's something here for everyone. And that's where you come in. Thanks for listening and welcome to the Context and Clarity Podcast. Every week, we have a conversation with an expert or a thought leader on things that matter most to the success of architects just like you. Then we go backstage with someone from our community and we talk about what we learned, what our biggest takeaways were, and how we're going to apply what we heard to our own businesses. In this episode, we talked with Ray Brown. Ray is the chief mentor. And by the way, I love that title. And he's also a co-founder of Archibiz. Now you're gonna feel Ray's passion come through in this conversation as he starts to talk about helping firm owners to realize not only their potential, but also the potential of their firm. And I think that's a good segue to ask you to look out for the point in the conversation where Ray introduces a concept where he says, even if you are a firm of one, you need to think of yourself as an employee of the firm and not as the firm. So you're going to have to listen in to that part in the conversation, but I think it's an important concept that you need to hear. I always enjoy talking with Ray, and I really appreciate him getting up very early. He's in Melbourne, Australia, so actually it was tomorrow morning for him relative to our time zone. So Ray, thank you very much for going to such great lengths to join us for this conversation. One place that we went in the conversation was an area that I hadn't planned to go, but a question from our live audience took us there. So we talked about the fact that the business of architecture, and that is what it is, a business, 
the business of architecture isn't really as unique as many architects make it out to be. Now, that may have the hackles on your neck standing up, so you're going to have to listen in and hear us out on that. But uh, it's, an important, it's an important idea in the conversation. And Ray shared so many great insights about preparing and understanding your business and getting strategic, as you think, not only about what you want your firm to be, but also about growing your firm and hiring. So we talked about the people side of your business quite a bit. You can just tell in talking to Ray what a wealth of knowledge he has and is so freely willing to share. So again, thanks to Ray for all of that. Catherine McPhail joined me once again for the conversation with Ray Brown and as well as backstage afterward. Catherine is my co-host and she's an architect and podcaster in Fairhaven, Massachusetts. In addition to Context and Clarity, Catherine hosts Talking Home Renovations with the House Maven and she's the CEO of Demios Architects. As always, I'm looking forward to talking about our takeaways from this conversation. So let's go backstage and listen in as Catherine and I talk about our conversation with Ray Brown, mentor, coach, and co-founder of Archibiz. There was a direction that we took the conversation that I wasn't planning to. I think it was Christian asked the question about why Archibiz and and not Dr. Biz or, you know, something else. Why, why focus on architecture? I knew having spoken to Ray in the past where he would go, where he would eventually go with that. And, and it's that, that reality that a lot of architects don't necessarily agree with, but the reality that the business of architecture is not really that unique. Um, again, back to the business fundamentals that every business needs to get into place. So um, that's in fact one of the things that I appreciate about appreciate about Ray is that um, he puts it in in um, fairly simple business terms. Right, these are the things that we have to do. So, all that being said, I I was looking forward to and I enjoyed our conversation with Ray. My big takeaway was well, I've been running my job or whatever you want to call this this thing I run my um, business, but and I think I have considered the business angle of things, but I've never taken a course that said it, you know, explicitly, this is what you should do. I was thinking about how he said, if you're going to start a business, you should at least read a book. So I realized I actually did read a book years ago called Starting a Design Firm or Risking It All, something like that was what it was called. Mm-hmm. And that's probably a product of its time also. And I was just looking on my bookshelf to see if it's there, but it's um it's not there. But I use it for a while and I feel like so, but still, I don't know. Do I actually know what I'm doing when it comes to business? I don't know. So I think having a, a course, a small course that people could take to introduce them to the different concepts so that they know that those concepts exist. I always think about being an architect is is not having to know everything, but knowing where to look things up. So it would be kind of similar just to knowing these business things. If I don't know or don't want to deal with them, I should hire somebody to help me. And the big pivotal moment for me was when he said, just because you think you want to earn 45000 a month, that's not good enough. Like, that's not it. And I thought, oh, yeah. mm, maybe I should take his course. Because that seems, it seems like enough for me. How, how do I want to put that? That that was sort of an enlightening statement as well, right? It's, it's not about the 45. It's about 
it, it, that's the point where I realized, I guess, that, and this, this is completely serendipitous, right? It's when he said that, that was when I knew, and, and again, serendipitously, I think he was maybe the perfect follow-up to our conversation last week with Megan Dolly. Because she talks about the the numbers and and the meaning of numbers and every dollar having a job, and you know Ray's comment about uh, essentially this this is my interpretation of it. But what what does forty five thousand dollars a month mean, right? So so you made forty five. Is that enough? Is that fantastic? Is that just scraping by? Is does that you know what what does it mean? And and that's. That's exactly when I thought back to Megan Dolly because she talks about, you know, the the story that the numbers or the stories that the numbers tell, and I thought, man, what a, what a great what a great follow up to that conversation with Megan because he's they they are right. Megan is right. Ray is right. Um, using the forty five thousand dollar example, if that's my goal, right? And I think he I think he said some people. Th- that's as far as they go with budgeting. Mm-hmm. Um, if if that's the goal that I set, I'd, I'd be, I'm, I'm going to be really, really honest here. I'd be okay with $45,000 a month. Mm-hmm. Um, but what is that covering? What does it take to get there? Who am I paying? You know, there's, there's a lot of, there's a lot of questions about that, that have to surround that, you know, that $45,000, but I'd, I'd be okay with it. <laughs> right. Well, you'd be okay with it unless you had somebody working for you and you had to pay them 40. Yes. Yeah, exactly. I'd be okay I mean, with it. Who would you be paying expenses, 40? I don't know. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. My expenses might be 50 a month. You know, I might say, oh, I, you know, I've got this big project. Um, and, and I'm so I've, and how many times do, does this happen? How many times have we seen this happen? Somebody wins a, a big project you know, maybe the biggest project of, of their career you know, as, as a business owner. And they go, okay, now I can afford to hire somebody. I'm going to have to, right, in order to get this project done. Mm, and you yeah. hire them. Oh, the fees are great. You know, hire someone and you start working. And all of a sudden, your expenses jump up to 50000 mm-hmm. a month. And you go, oh, that forty five is is uh, not covering it. So, yeah, the, there's a lot of great points wrapped up in there. Well, and he was talking about something similar to that, too, where he was saying that, um, what did he call it? Get busy, get help, I think he was calling it. Yes, it's some, something something close yeah, to Yeah, where that. he's yep. like, that's not a great situation. Like, oh, yeah, get busy, get work, and you hire too late, you don't have time to train them, and it's like a chicken and egg situation. Yeah, well, I think I think the key is to be strategic. Um, and we find that most architects run... And I don't think it is a strategy, but they, they run what we call the get busy, get help way of working. Okay, so once I've got work, I will hire people. And, um, and what that means is you hire too late, you don't have time to train. And most of that comes from a fear around the money. And uh, will I have I got enough money to pay this person if I don't have the work? But, but it's a chicken and egg because they're, they're the same people that tell us, well, I don't have time to market or I don't have time to network or I don't have time to develop my website because I'm too busy doing the doing. So the, the get busy, get help isn't uh, really appropriate. And then the second part is um, 
what is the vision for your business? You know, what what are you trying to create here? And what does it look like when you it's finished? I, I love asking architects for the. Could you just show me the drawings for your your practice? And they, they kind of look. That's a weird question. Um, but you wouldn't start building a house without detailed drawings, a real clear picture of what it looks like when it's finished. And yet architects will lay a few bricks and build up their website and add a person in. Um, and, and that leads on to something else that, that we, we do a lot of business reviews now. We, we go into architectural practices and we do a thorough look at all aspects of the business and then we make recommend how we think that the practice can improve and how we can help them. And what we find when we interview staff is that most, most architectural practices are what we call they businesses. So you ask them a question about the vision or the direction of the business and they'll say things like, oh, well, I think they want to grow or I think they want to be doing more commercial work. They being the principals, the, the people who started the business. And that's max of getting busy and then adding people on to help you. Uh, and the, the real opportunity is to turn that they business into a we business. And and it's we the we the company that that it's not that it's not the leader of the business that has because to it's not them that have the, the vision and the purpose and the culture. It's the business itself. Okay. And and I find a lot of architects they don't they can't separate themselves from the business. We spend a lot of time saying, you know, you are not the business, you're an employee you're maybe a shareholder, you maybe run a board and, and director of the company. But you need to think of your business separately because it's people come to work for the business, not to work for you. And that's the way it should be. Um, so everything should feed into that. The, the, who you are, where you fit in the market, you know, are you top end, bottom end? What kind of work do you do? What do you specialize in? What do you want to be known for? I mean, these are all questions that, that every company should be asking. And every company should have a ready answer to that. One question I have as an architect not trained in business is how do I work that out so that I can hire someone before I really, really need them, which to me means that they are paying for themselves in their billable hours and all that. So you just save money, have a bigger runway. Is that what you do? I don't know. I'm hoping the answer might be in his his course, but... I, I'm having a feeling that I don't um, I don't think I need Megan Dolly to tell me I probably can't afford his course. How did he say it? You, you have to be, this This may be oversimplifying it, so apologies to Ray if it is, but I, I, you have to be strategic about that and, and understand, right? Can I, can I, under, can I afford to hire? Uh, and of course, you know, again, this is, I think this is a great follow-up to a week of talking about finances last week, one of the mm -hmm. questions we asked last week related to, to Megan Dolly was, can you afford not to hire that person? Right. But it's, you know, how do we figure that out? I guess is, is Ray's point. What's the strategy? Yeah. If I do hire that person, obviously there's more expense, et cetera, but what are they going to allow us to, what, what is having them in the firm going to allow us to do that, that will, um, lead to growth and, and hopefully lead to more, more income. And like you said, you know, they, they theoretically pay for themselves. So yeah, there's, it's not super simple, but, but the approach, the strategic approach is necessary. 
I think it's a great idea to have a course that people can take to kind of get an idea of business. And I just wonder if, um, I mean, he works with architects, I think, because he said he feels we're a great group of people, which, of course, none of us are going to deny that we're a great group of people. Um, and that he's trying to make leaders out of technicians. So that kind of goes back to Michael Gerber. But uh, I was wondering if other are architects unique and not understanding business and yet being people who are in the position to run a practice like that? Or would our lawyers learn about business when they're in law school to run the firm? Or do they hire people who have that expertise instead of trying to do it themselves? Yeah. In, in my experience, um, and as you know, I at times I have not limited my work with architects. I've, I've, I've allowed the niche to expand to professional services, which would be mm -hmm. attorneys and accountants and et cetera, because it's a very similar situation. Um, you know, we, we, we talk about architecture school a lot and lack of business training. Well, you know, it's, it's the same for many in, in the legal, you know, in law and, 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 um, medicine, mm -hmm. they, they also, they, you, you know, I think, I think that's, that is one uniqueness in professional services is that we, we learn how to, uh, we, we learn how to do our craft. It's not a very elegant mm -hmm. way to say it, but but you learn how to to be an architect. You learn how to design, and you learn some technical things, and so on and so forth. And attorneys learn about law, obviously, and doctors about biology and, and medicine and things, but not how to start and run a law firm or a medical practice or an architecture firm. By and large, there there are definitely exceptions, and that's what I, what I'm trying to change in, in my professional practice classes, as I say all the time. Um, but no, I, I don't, again, I don't, architecture is not unique. This is happening in other pro professional services as well. Is there a position where someone who knows how to run a business, this is such a stupid question, where someone who knows how to run a business could go in and just partner with you to run your business. And so you do your work and then I'd run the business part. <laughs> is that called like a CFO? Is that what they are? There, there are. So when we when we talked with Megan last week, Megan. So mm -hmm. if you missed that episode last week, we talked with Megan Dolly. She's a virtual CFO that works with design firms. Um, a lot of a lot of people that do what she does, and, and hopefully this is a direct correlation. But I, I see the term fractional used a lot. So you'll see a fractional CFO, you'll see a fractional CEO or CM, you know, all the C-suite, all the C's. And basically there are people that will fill that position like Megan does. She'll fill the position of CFO for your company and my company and, and Mark's company and, and Sally's company, basically in a consulting, you know, contract basis. You can find a lot of those people that play that fractional role that that's gets very redundant, I guess, in the way I'm saying that, but, but play, play those roles in, in a fractional scenario. So you can have a part-time CEO and a part-time COO and a, all of that. There's, there's, there's go, go to, go to LinkedIn and type fractional okay. in that. the search. And a lot of those, um, people, a lot of people that provide that type of service will, will pop up. Okay, I'll try that. See, I mean, the thing is, I do have a lot to learn about things, even though we I study this every week. Mm -hmm. I just don't feel like it's very maybe 
just need a more structured way of doing it. Um, one thing you talked about, which remind me of Mark Zweig, how mm -hmm. you pronounce his name, Zweig, you know, talking about the attractiveness of your firm to potential employees is that it's not all about money and it needs to be a good place to work. You know, so thinking right. about all of the rest of the stuff that goes into your firm's culture and it's not just about money. As that's what Mark was saying too. Yeah, I'm seeing, I was watching something on TikTok. It's <laughs> surprising, right? Um, mm -hmm. Yesterday, I think it was. Somebody, you know, I was in my For You page and it's a woman that had some, something to do with HR, uh, you know, in, in her, her handle or whatever we call it on TikTok. She, she just popped up. I didn't, I don't follow, I do follow her now, um, but she popped up and she was talking about quiet quitting, which is this new thing new phenomenon that we're hearing about in quotes mm -hmm. and, and and she's basically um in in this one uh, in this one tiktok in this one post she is basically just railing against this idea she says this is not quiet quitting this is people responding to organizations who are more interested in their bottom line and their in their profit in their whatever and not paying attention to the human beings that work there. And that, that really resonated with me because we talk about, we talk a lot about culture and obviously this week we've been talking about the, the people side of your business and I, and it relates to what Ray said and Mark said, as you pointed out, we have to take care of our people. They are, especially in, in architecture firms, right? We don't have widgets. We don't sell um, lawnmowers or, you know, physical things. So the people that are doing the problem solving and the people that uh, are creating the intellectual property and the people that are, are um, doing the designing and, and producing the documents and all of those things, that they are your greatest asset in, in a lot of ways and not taking care of them. Um, not per, not having a culture that supports them. You, you know, what you get to decide, right? As, as the leader of the firm, you get to decide how to start shaping that culture. The question is, obviously, is this going to be a place where, where people want to pour their hearts and soul? Because that's what a lot of people do in the profession. They pour their heart and soul into projects and jobs and things like that. Is that what you're creating? It's not always about what you do for your clients. It's what you do for the staff. And and I, and I think your potential clients respond to that too. They, they like to see a company that's a bit more rounded. And um, I mean, we speak a lot about uh, what's your story? How, how do you tell um, how do you tell the story of your practice? Uh, and and uh, Sometimes say, well, if you meet somebody in the, the pub or the wine bar at night and someone says, who, who do you work with? What does a staff member say? And if, if, if they say we're an, architectural, an architectural practice and we do a bit of residential and some commercial, then you're missing this huge opportunity to position you as someone different. How do you tell that story? What makes you different? What problems do you solve? And how do you encapsulate that in something that piques people's interest? Um, and so that, that we spend a lot of time helping people. We call it the sandwich story. So the one, the one side is 
the problems that they solve and the other side is what makes them different. The, the meat in the middle is the same for every architect. They all do the same type of things in a different way, but you need to find a way to tell that sandwich story. And everybody in your practice should be able to tell that story. So I, I, I love the fact that he talked about that because, you know, I think this is going to be a quite a topic of conversation for a number of years. And I think a lot of it comes out of people reconsidering their priorities during COVID. Mm-hmm. You know, I, th- I think that's a, that's a big turning point for a lot of people. So yeah, I, I thought that was, I thought that was a very good point. Yeah. I mean, obviously the whole COVID thing has been a big moment for all sorts of things. People realizing they don't want to waste their two hours a day commuting into an office, for example. So that's changing a lot of what people thought couldn't happen. It, it is it is kind of amazing to think back and think back to some of the, the guests that we've had, you know, like Diane Nicholas um, that started a, a, I guess, hybrid practice maybe 10 years ago. I forget the dates now, but um, all the things that people have said that can't be done, right? They're faced with this in March of 2020. Oh, this can't, we can't do that. You know, we can't. We can't all go remote or, you know, whatever the situation is. And obviously they had to. And then to find out that, hey, people have been this. It, it wasn't the, the tradition. It wasn't the quote unquote norm. But people have been doing this and there is a way to do this. So it's, um, you know, we get back to my, my least favorite comment of all time. You know, this is the way we've always done it. We can continue to question that. Plans like what does your firm look like in six months to a year? I understand what a business plan is, I guess, but I don't, I can't answer how that would look any different. Um, or I mean, I guess I could, but I, I maybe I, I don't know how often I should think about that. I wrote a business plan. I've probably written five business plans for my hobby, <laughs> whatever it is. Your jobby. Um, my jobby. So I, I get it, but I don't know if I'm supposed to do it. Like, should I do it again right now? And does it need to be bigger? Like, that's one of my questions always about the growth thing. And, you know, I bring it up. I bring it up a lot. Like, why do there have to be five different kinds of Oreos now? Like, why do there have to be different flavors of Triscuits? It's not better. I don't think it's better. But yet everybody seems to to do it. And they're just more expansion all the time and i don't i guess i don't get that so i i could use um some education on that like why do we have to keep getting bigger yeah yeah i i think uh first of all i'm glad that you um inquired about raise about the the archibiz program the daps program that uh daps live i think is is what it's called yeah because one of the things that i Again, I've had the opportunity to talk to Ray in the past, and one of the things I really appreciate about him is that he is—he's all about simplification, right? We can—we can. It's real easy for us, maybe really natural for us to overcomplicate things, and and Ray kind of goes the opposite direction, and and um, and I assume that that's probably what's a lot of what's included in the, in the DAPS program. Mm. But, um, but, but I, but I also think that's a good question. We were all the flavors of M&Ms, all the flavors of Oreos. When I always look at that, you know, and I see it and I get it. I, I see why they're doing it. Hey, there's, there's these Oreos with 
what do you call what is it filling orange yeah, orange filling for for um halloween, halloween. yeah okay yeah, i can we, see that kind of yeah i mean we can we can sell more at halloween and every time i see that i always i always think about you know think about business and say is that all you have left <laughs> holidays, is, holidays yeah i mean is that is and I get it. they're they're trying to sell a lot of cookies, right? That's right. That's what they have to do in order to. Ray, Ray mentioned that at one point in the feed the machine, mm -hmm. right? And so what what do you have to do to feed the machine? Well, I think the good thing is, first of all, you get to decide what the machine is, mm -hmm. and you yeah. get to decide to some extent how much the machine needs to be fed. And there are factors, right? You know, if I hire somebody, if I have this expense, expense versus that expense, but you get to pull some of those levers to control those things. And, and you can say, you know, as long as $45,000 a month covers the expenses plus, you know, whatever, $5 or $5,000 or whatever, you get to, you get to decide if that's enough. Mm-hmm. As, as a small firm architect, as a small business owner, you get to decide. You get to the level of Oreos and M&Ms and the, the machine is so massive. And honestly, I, I, I don't think I would want to be in that position where the machine is so massive where I've got to walk in and say, okay, we need to go talk to Hallmark and ask them to create a new, a new holiday with a certain color so that we can sell, well, sell more Oreos you know, with a new color, because eventually you're going to run out of holidays, aren't you? Isn't it kind of like, um, you know, we talk about how we should have a specialty. We as architects it, have an actual expertise and specialty. Isn't that kind of the opposite of, well, it's not really the opposite of growth, because then I guess then you increase your um, clientele because you can specifically target people who are looking for that very thing rather than just a scattershot. It would be interesting to to analyze that because I guess on on one hand, and I'm just thinking out loud at this point. On one hand, if you're M and M's and all you make is M and M's, but you expand to different flavors and different nuts inside the M and M and whatever, then maybe you have your niche, and you're just expanding to meet the needs of the people that are already in your niche, which would would definitely fall into what we've talked about with people in the past with Mark Zweig when we were talking about mm. what what to do when there's an economic downturn. You know, we or or even others others that we have that we have talked to. The more you become part of that niche, and the more you serve that particular niche, the even in a downturn, the better off you are because those people turn to you, and instead mm -hmm. of someone that doesn't have that knowledge, doesn't have that specialty, doesn't have that expertise, et cetera. Um, but I, I don't know, you know, when it's peanuts and almonds and caramel and whatever, maybe, maybe that's exactly, you know, maybe that's a, a much larger scale example. I'm not sure, but, um, <laughs> I don't know. Maybe, maybe we could get someone to come on and explain it all to me. No, I don't think we will do that. Yeah. Um, well, also, I noticed that Ray was asking us, how do we tell a story of, how do you tell a story of your practice, which is obviously stuff that you would say. 
Right. I mean, a lot of people would talk about like, what is the story of your practice and how do you tell it and what would your staff say? And so that's a good thing to keep in mind. I could go on and on. I mean, the things that we touched on in the conversation with Ray, we touched on brand, we touched on, on culture, we touched on so many, so many things, but, but I, I guess the, you know, the reality is that, that Ray and, and Archibiz, they touch on what I, I would say that, you know, your business is a triangle and you've got the marketing sales business development on one side and culture and employee on the other side and operations and client experience on on the the third side and that's exactly what what they look at what what archibus works on is all the different sides of your business you know in in that you know in in those basics in those fundamentals and so it you know it it it, it all of this stuff just falls right in their wheelhouse and the idea of working with somebody like that again whether you're getting ready to start or you just started um, your firm a year ago, or, or you've had a firm for 27 years, there is an opportunity to um, work with, whether it's Archibiz or whoever, but work with someone to really nail down these fundamentals so that you have a platform to bring mm-hmm. or, or to build build your business and build a stronger business off of. Well, what did you think? Did you hear something in there that you can use in your practice today? If you were so inspired by this conversation that you'd like to watch the entire Context and Clarity Live episode, head on over to the Entree Architect YouTube channel. There's a playlist there that has all of the full Context and Clarity Live episodes. And if you want more of the Context and Clarity podcast delivered to you every week, give us a thumbs up and subscribe wherever you consume podcasts. If you like content like this, check out Gable Media. It's a multimedia network for people that care about the built environment, and it's the home of Context and Clarity. With Gable's growing family of podcasts and video channels, I know you'll find something there that interests you. You can learn more at gablemedia.com. That's G-A-B-L media.com. And one last thing before you go. If the topic of today's episode is of particular interest to you, join me over on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern inside the Entree Architect Community Facebook group. That's where every weekday at 4 p.m. Eastern, I host Context and Clarity Conversations, and we take topics like this, and we dig deeper. We have a conversation in real time to try to find more clarity around the things that matter most to you. So thanks for listening. I hope our time together has inspired you to think about your community and your practice and how you can support those around you. We'll be back here again next week, and in the meantime, I hope you'll join me and the Entree Architect community on Facebook today at 4 p.m. Eastern so that we can help each other find more clarity around the topics that matter most, no matter what your context is. I've mentioned it to my family, but in terms of telling people like, oh yeah, we're doing this, I'm looking for projects. You got anything? Yeah. I'm, I'm not there yet because it scares the out of me. Dreaming of launching your own architecture firm? Well, buckle up for a wild ride with Emerging, the podcast that shares what it's really like to start an architecture firm. Where do we begin? We don't even know what type of business to formalize as. Is it an LLC? Is it an LLP? Like, how are taxes? I mean, the list is astronomical. <laughs>
Season 1 featured founders Jeffrey, Lexi, and Chris, owners of Level Studio Architecture, are your fearless guides on this unfiltered journey from napkin sketches to a thriving studio. One evening, stumbled into one last dive, we sat at the bar and pondered our postgraduate futures. Amidst the conversation, a napkin became the canvas for our aspirations, sketching plans and milestones, sealing our heartfelt commitment and shared dreams. In drawing down dreams on a napkin collectively, that <laughs> then, you know, in your head, you've rooted like, oh, I'm connected to these people, like long term. The process of starting an architecture practice brims with excitement and challenges, demanding meticulous planning, flawless execution, and unyielding resilience. I kind of hate the term because it's so overly used, but I think everybody knows imposter syndrome. And I think it's it's so real to this day. I, I, I don't know if it's with everybody, but with me, I'm always questioning like us. Can we do this? Are we ready to do this? Are we prepared? Can we do it? Did we just decide a name? <laughs> we did it, guys. Oh the one that God. came out of nowhere. Woo! It came out of nowhere. I liked it. I saw it. Ready to turn your aspirations into reality? Follow the link in the show notes to subscribe to Emerging and chart your own path to architectural success.